Chapter 43 of No Quarter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Cullen. No Quarter by Thomas Main Reed. Chapter 43. High Meadow House. High Meadow House, where Massey's troops were quartered, was but a step from the Buckstone. A first-class mansion it was, belonging to a gentleman by name Benedict Hall, and inhabited by him till within a few days before. A large landowner with estates both in the shires of Gloucester and Hereford, he commanded some influence throughout the forest country, and being a bigoted papist, he, of course, went for the king and the devil, as those of his sort have ever done since Vaticanism became a power upon the earth. But in something more than a mere sentimental way had the master of High Meadow shown his political inclinings. Second only to those of the silly old Marquis of Worcester and the wicked Sir John Wintour, were his services to the royal cause in that quarter, his great wealth enabling him to pay for soldiers if he could not himself handle them. More than one well-appointed squad had he armed and equipped at his own expense, now sending subsidies to Wintour at Lydney, and now helping Lord Herbert on the Monmouth side. Moreover, at the breaking out of hostilities, he had fortified High Meadow House, and ever since held it with his own servants and hired retainers. His wife, a priest-ridden woman, had been prime inspirer and chief instigator to all this, herself moving about among the men employed on the defensive works, encouraging them with speech and promises of reward for devotion to the king's cause. There came a time, however, when this ultra-loyal couple began to get tired of the bauble which was costing them so dearly. For over two years it had been a constant drain upon their resources, all output and nothing returned, save the scantiest of thanks such gratitude as might be expected from princes, above all, one like Rupert. Had Benedict Hall better held by his Bible, it would have warned him against the hollow trust. The Battle of Marston Moor did that more effectively than the sacred book, showed him the fool's part he had been playing, and that likely a day was on the dawn when England's people would no longer be the consenting slaves of royal caprice. So, bitter papists and malignants, as were he and his wife, their worship for Pope and King did not blind them to coming events, and they had now turned their thoughts to the rising sun. When the news came from the north of the royalist rout, and was followed by other adversaries to the king's cause, Benedict Hall, like many others of higher rank, hastened to change sides, or, at all events, save himself by compounding, which, in reality, he afterwards did, the wife, clever woman, conducting the negotiations with the parliamentary committee. 
Ere this, however, on hearing of Wintour's defeat by the wise mouth, they had forsaken their fortified mansion at High Meadow, betaking themselves to Bristol, just as the master of Holymead, with his family, had fled to it many months before, both seeking it as a city of refuge, but from enemies the very opposite. Even more abruptly and in greater haste, had the halls abandoned their home, leaving behind not only their furniture, but some of their most cherished household gods. Provisions, too, in plenty, eatables and drinkables, with the still undischarged staff of domestics. Snug quarters for the parliamentarians, fatigued after their sharp conflict at Beechley and difficult march through the forest, with its tortuous roots and steep pitches. As already said, Colonel Walwyn and his troopers had come on in advance, Massey's men having but just arrived, when, forsaking saddle, he and Sir Richard started off to the Buckstone to reconnoitre. Now returned from it, they looked upon a spectacle which, though of a striking character, was not new to either of them. Huge fires blazed up everywhere, with great joints of meat spitted and sputtering over them. Soldiers with doublets off and shirt-sleeves rolled up to the elbow, knife in hand, still engaged in cutting up the beeves they had butchered. Hundreds of horses with saddles off, standing halted along the walls, munching corn, which the master of High Meadow House had been hoarding up for visitors, who would have been more welcome. For up to a late period, he had been expecting Rupert and his cavaliers to come that way. The soldiers were in high glee, congratulating one another on the comfortable quarters into which they had dropped. For, at High Meadow House, they found not only full granaries, but a well-stocked larder and cellar containing various potables. A portion of the last had been already dealt out to them, and they were quaffing and laughing, one giving ironical thanks to the absent host for having so thoughtfully provided the entertainment, another, in like strain, drinking his health. The arrival of the governor on the ground caused but a momentary suspension of their boisterous mirth. Though a strict disciplinarian in a military sense, Massey was aught but puritanical, and rather liked seeing his soldiers enjoy themselves in a harmless way. Besides, he and Colonel Walwyn, who, hurrying after, had overtaken him, at once went into the house, where dinner, already prepared, was awaiting them and the other officers. Before sitting down to it, the governor called for pen, ink and paper, and writing to Sir Richard's dictation, hastily scratched off a note which he handed to the latter as they exchanged some words in undertone. The knight, on taking it, passed hurriedly out to see close to the door a horse under saddle and bridled with a trooper standing by his head. That he expected this was evident by his saying, "'You can mount now,' Take this to Colford, give it to Major Rowcroft, into his own hands, mind you, and stay there till he sends you back. Don't spare your horse. Ride, whip, and spur all the way. The soldier and orderly simply saluted as he took the folded sheet, then slipped it under his doublet, 
sprang to the saddle and went off at a gallop through the gate the bivouackers inside the courtyard and without having commenced their homeric repast paid little heed to an incident so slight and of such common occurrence they were more interested in the roast beef with which the pastures around high meadow house had provided them and the beer drawn from its subterraneous depositories good store of sack had been found there too with claret methiglin and other dainty drinks but these were reserved for the officers who in a somewhat similar fashion were making merry inside for the better part of an hour was the feasting kept up amid jest and laughter interrupted by the hoof-stroke of a horse in gallop afar off in the forest when first heard but at each repetition louder and nearer till at length the sound abruptly ceased all listening knew why the fast-riding horseman whoever he was had pulled up by the out-picket whose challenging hail could be faintly heard through the trees time enough elapsed for the necessary parley and permission to pass on when the trampling recommenced and soon after horse and rider were in sight still at a gallop making direct for the gate of the fortified mansion some who were expecting to see the orderly that had late ridden off saw a different man though to many of them no stranger a dragoon orderly too but acting with the detachment at colford his horse was in a lava of sweat tossing clots of froth from the champed bit back upon his counter as dashing in through the outer gate he was drawn up at the house door on the stoop were several officers who had just stepped out after finishing dinner massey himself in their midst what is it he demanded as the dragoon springing down from the saddle advanced towards him he was feigning ignorance for he well knew what it was dispatch from major rowcroft your excellency answered the orderly presenting it h commanded it brought in all haste saying twas of great importance yes exclaimed the governor after tearing the sheet open and giving but a glance to the writing major rowcroft is right it is of great importance gentlemen he added turning to his officers and speaking loud enough to be heard all over the place this is a serious matter rowcroft advises me of news just reached colford that the princes rupert and maurice have united their forces taken strood sirencester too and are supposed to be en route for gloucester our own city threatened we mustn't think more of monmouth glorious old gloucester that has so long defied all the strength of cavalierism with all its malevolent spite but we shan't let it fall no let us get back there without a moment's delay so each of you to your respective commands have your men in marching order within twenty minutes i give you that and no more no more was needed the troops under massey were too well disciplined too often summoned into action with like suddenness to go bungling about getting ready for the route quick after his words came the notes of a bugle sounding the assembly with other calls taken up by the trumpeters of the respective corps 
followed by a hurrying to and fro, horses unhaltered, bitted and saddled, men buckling on swords, grasping lances or adjusting accoutrements, then trumpets once more commanding the march, and in less than the prescribed time, neither trooper nor soldier of any sort could be seen within the precincts of High Meadow House or anywhere around. But the place was not altogether deserted. The domestics and outdoor servants of its absent owner were still there, in greater numbers now as many came stealing from holes and corners where they had been all day hiding in fear of rough treatment by the roundheads. Hall's headman, the steward of the estate, was among them, he too having come from a place of concealment as soon as warned that the troops had taken departure. Different from the rest, he was on horseback, nor did he alight. Instead, after getting their report from such of the house servants as had been there all the while and heard everything, he reined about and rode off again not to follow the retiring parliamentarians, but in quite the contrary direction. So while Massey and his troops were on the march from High Meadow, apparently en route for Gloucester, a man, this same steward, was riding down the Kaimin at a breakneck pace, the bearer of glad news to the governor of Monmouth. End of chapter 43